This episode's guest is Joel Smith from Just Fly Performance. Joel has been a track and field jumper and javelin thrower, a track coach, strength coach, a personal trainer, a researcher, a writer, and a lecturer in his eight years or so in the professional field. His degrees in exercise science have been earned from Cedarville University in 2006, which was his bachelor's, and from Wisconsin Lacrosse in 2008, which was his master's. In 2011, Joel started Just Fly Sports with Jay Clark in an effort to bring relevant training information to the everyday coach and athlete. Aside from the NSCA, Joel is certified through the USA Track and Field, and his hope is to bridge the gap between understandable theory and current coaching practices. On this episode, Joel and I discussed many topics. Firstly, Joel gives us an update on his work and personal life. Joel shares with us his thoughts on foot training. I asked Joel about how he assesses the feet. I asked Joel how does he train the feet. I asked Joel to share his current thoughts on power and speed training methods. And finally, I asked Joel what was he reading at the time that we recorded this interview. Guys, this is a great conversation with Joel, and I hope you really, really enjoyed. Joel, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. How are you doing? I'm good, Robbie. Thanks for having me, man. I'm de- delighted to have you. I don't I don't think I've ever had you on the podcast. You I've been no, on yours. Been on mine. It's a it's about time. <laughs> you turn fu- the favor. I'm how fucking time is right. Come here, I want to get you on because I am completely ignorant when it comes to foot biomechanics. And I definitely don't have the background knowledge that you have gained over the past number of years in terms of speed and power methods. Um, so that's kind of where I want our conversation to go today. But just for the listeners, maybe give us a bit of background and give us an update on you, like where, what's the story life status-wise? I know you had a big move lately. Where are you at with your coaching? Where are you at with your own podcast? Um, and any future plans in terms of any more books or products you're going to release? And then we can get into our talk around the foot power and speed sounds good yeah so i yeah you thought i was crazy <laughs> but for moving from california to ohio you're, you're although actually crazy. that's there's there's like a record i think number of people especially families moving out of california to like texas colorado of course they, it's, a lot it's, of, it's fallen into the ocean isn't it california i heard it is there you know it's due for an earthquake at some point that might you know it's gonna clearly you know rip the whole state off i'm sure that's okay uh, you know, I, I, it's funny cause I was road tripping back home or to my new home, I guess you could say home for me is Wisconsin, but we, we, my family, we went to Ohio cause that's where my wife's family is. Um, and we're driving like, you know, and what I do, I, I really have a lot of freedom to live really anywhere cause of the base of what I do is books and podcasts, online training and stuff. So I have some, I have some freedom and we're driving through Utah, Salt Lake city, Colorado. It's like, like, man, why would we just stop here? <laughs> like, you know, why are we going to keep going? So anyways, yeah, it's just a lot of people are leaving because it's just expensive and it's just not a, I mean, it's beautiful. It's just not the optimal place to raise a family, I think. And I was just talking to my buddy, Paul Cater, who lives in Monterey and he's at the beach all the time training. And, and it's like, unless you're able to be there all the time, in my opinion, or go to Tahoe or the mountains all the time, or you have family there. I just don't think it's worth it. You're paying for something you're not using, if that makes sense, you know? And so, I don't know. I mean, it's everyone's choice. I think for me, that was one of the reasons. Yeah, so I was at at Cal before UC Berkeley. 
And uh, a big reason I wanted to get out here amongst, you know, obviously just cost of living, but I was just here in the college strength conditioning environment for long enough. Like if you are a strength coach, which I kind of wonder if that title will still be the same thing in 20, 30 years. You know, there's a lot of different, this, you know, physical prep coach, athletic performance. It might go through some different, it's multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary. So in, I don't know, I wonder. Sports engineer. Sports engineer. Yeah. (laughs) The more we, we, I think the more like we layer into though, like the more really to be a better, uh, well, I'll, I'll save this because I'm talking about my intro here. I don't want to rabbit trail, but Anyways, so long story short is I wanted to, I think that you can get stagnant working with the same athlete population for four, five, six, seven years, especially as the strength coach. Because as a sport coach, that's the diversity, there's so much going on. You, you're a manager, so you have that hat. You're a recruiter. You are the coach. You're writing the workouts and not just the physical preparation, but the skill and all this stuff. And so there's so much to keep getting better at. But if you're the strength coach for these athletes, I mean, at some point you just start splitting hairs. There's no place left to go than hair splitting uh, in, in the mechanics of the weight room. Now you can get better at athlete psychology. I mean, and honestly for me, like, I mean, it got to the point I was always trying my best, but it got to the point where I'm like, I'm just finding things to observe, like, like nuances, demeanors, emotional, you know, states, um, just really nitpicking fine points of movement just cause like, I guess I might as well just try to nitpick and watch. I might not even tell the athlete. In fact, I probably won't cause it's going to mess them up, but just, I just wasn't learning as much as I could. And then having to kind of be relegated to, I, I really wanted to work with a real broad spectrum of athletes, but the, with the, being in the NCAA, the rules, uh, there's a lot of athletes like high school, you, you can't work with in a private setting. And so it's just like, look, I want to, I just want to be more diverse. I want to train more people, especially doing all this stuff and you, getting to spend time with the Darien bar and all these nuances of speed. That's completely flipping everything I've ever thought and known about how the human body works and moves there. And I know we'll get into that. I just wanted to work with more people and I wanted to have more freedom, like any, I guess, entrepreneur you could say. So yeah, I, I just decided to uh, move out here to Ohio near my wife's family, Cincinnati. It's nice here. Like it's nice. It's hot in the summer and whatever. I, I'm looking forward to a little bit of snow, to be honest. I, I remember sledding when I was a kid and it was awesome. I'm excited for my kids to have that experience and those things. And, uh, the, yeah, so the, I'm, the novelty wears off though pretty soon. Like, oh, snow. And then after like the first day, you're like, oh no, this is sticking around. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I, I will say like, it was nice visiting for two weeks. It's like, oh yeah, snow two weeks. And then, yeah, yeah. but I, I don't know. Well, you know, I, we'll see. I, I mean, it, it kind of like, you think about like the Wim Hof method, there's, is that like cold, righteous nature of, of nature, you know, and you got to look at it for what it is and it, everything's beautiful like that. I mean, I think you can find beauty in a snowflake just as much as you can being in a beautiful, you know, scenic Bay area, California. Yeah. yeah it's all through perception, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you're just trying to make me feel better about that. <laughs> Anyways. So, uh, what's cool though, you know, they talk in entrepreneurial speak, they talk a lot about, you know, you take that leap of faith and I knew I needed to go like everything, like even like, like dreams telling me that, you know, even just through COVID and all that and, and the loss of security of a full-time job, like I need to go. And it's like, when you take that leap of faith, the universe, you know, God, whatever, insert your term will meet you. And it was like, I literally was in St. Louis with one or two legs of the trip left to go. And um, a guy, Ty Leash, contacted me uh, from a gym called Evo uh, Evolutionary Fitness or Evo, Evo Fit. And 
it turned out like, I think like three people might've contacted me for said, Hey, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to um, Cincinnati, come meet, let's connect. Uh, but Ty connected with me and turns out his, the gym was five minutes from where I was staying in the interim till I got a place to live. And so I go work out with them. This place is, this gym is just really, just the vibe is just awesome. I, there's something about this place that just seemed really cool. And then a week later, I'm talking to the owners and we're, we're partnering up. I'm going to run my podcast studio in their, their new location. Uh, it's going to be an actual podcast studio. Uh, we got a cool, like, it's just going to be, it, it's like, it couldn't have happened any better, you know? And it's just like, when you take that leap, like this, the universe conspires type thing. I don't, I know I'm probably sounding new agey and esoteric, but it's true. Like, I think if you're on that purpose and, and I left to left Cal to reach more people and to expand what I was doing and to do all these things. And so uh, right now I'm taking, I'm taking on athletes as well. Uh, fortunately I had a, you know, uh, clients as well who had known me from, you know, the internet air quotes and uh, picking up them for training sessions. So I'm, yeah, I'm on my way and picking up clients. I'm doing some even adult fitness stuff, which I never thought would be cool until I got into Rafe Kelly's stuff and evolve move play and, Paul Cater's stuff. And it's like, look, this is as alive as anything. Like athlete, it doesn't matter. Like it's just, we're human at our core. And so you bring out that. And so anyways, uh, doing that and loving it. And uh, yeah, just expanding, able to have some freedom and expand and, and enjoying being here in Cincinnati. Man, not gonna lie. That's awesome. I'm delighted to hear that. And don't for one second apologize for listening to your intuition or, you know, having to explain, oh, this sounds esoteric. If, if that's what feels true to you right now, fucking more power to you that's brilliant i'm delighted for you um so as i said to you as we were messaging back and forth foot biomechanics um i know adarian's been a huge influence on you i I don't know currently how astute or how well studied you you personally feel yourself in the area but you definitely know more than i do but i know you have taken a deep dive into into looking at feet because i know like the likes of gary ward has also been on your podcast and a number of other people who like Emily, um, Doctor, pronounce her second name so I don't butcher oh, Splick, it. Oh, Splickle. Splickle. I might be butchering it, but I think that's. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw so Emily. If you are listening, which is unlikely, I just I don't want to be butchering your name. But I know you've had her previously on the show too, and obviously as I've already mentioned, Darian, he's been on a number of times. But so uh, the three main topics, if we get a chance to get through, I'm sure. Listen, if not, we can always hop on in part two and three, and we can do this now. That just for the listeners, my masters is done. I defended my dissertation this morning. Podcasts will be coming a lot more, uh, a lot more regular from now on. Back to kind of like a previous um, schedule with better audio too. Joel's giving me stick over the audio of the old podcast when we were reminiscing beforehand. But anyway, sorry, I'm rumbling. I'm I'm rambling here. Can we get into foot biomechanics? Where your sort of head is with that topic now? When you hear it, what have you learned since we last spoke? Maybe two, three years ago. Um, how are you training the feet? Like just basically your whole thought process around feet and training. And then if we get time, we can look into your thoughts around some of the speed and power methods and basically just performance sort of training methods. I know you're always thinking and planning and toying with things. So, but let's start with foot biomechanics. Where's your thought process there with that? Yeah, well, that's a good one. Cause I, I will say I'll proceed this. Um, so Bill, Bill Hartman and, and that whole world of things is I, <laughs> There's people, I know a therapist who's in, um, who's been uh, inspired by Bill's work, really into Bill's work, who's like, I don't even work, men, I don't even mess with the feet. They're too complicated. I look at what the hip is doing to the foot and start there. And as soon as you hear that statement, it's just like, whoa, like, you know, like, so all I'm saying is I, I, the foot, 
is insanely complex, but it's, there's no one solution, I think, to all foot-related issues because it's always, as with everything, it's always going to be holistic. So what we can best look at is, and even Gary Ward will say, he's like pronation is not just at the foot, it's a whole body occurrence. So if we just isolate things to the foot, but we expect magic to happen, we might be in for a little bit of a, maybe disappointment, you could say. Uh, my goal with studying the foot has really been to find just the overarching principles. Like, like just generally speaking, X, Y, Z should be present in the training of an athlete or even a human being. Um, a lot of this came about from, yeah, always just trying to be a better athlete at first, especially if I would characterize the athletic, the true athletic portion of my life. It was before I had serious Achilles issues at age 26, age 26, Achilles issues. I'm an elastic guy. Like you just kind of took my superpower, if that makes sense. I high jumped my PR at age 21, which is sad. Like I think about that a lot. Like here I am this performance coach and I jumped my best ever at 21 and I couldn't beat it. Like I granted, I was into all this hyper intense training methods early, you know, for what that's, for what's that is worth long-term athletic development and all that. And I think I had a really good training situation leading up to that. But the things that kept me from getting better, a lot of my life has been dissecting why, did I not get better after that? You know, why couldn't I get a, you, it being so obsessed, right? This guy who is so obsessed with this stuff. And a lot of that was the foot performance wise, even, even after age 21 and, and by the foot, it, it's, it's also a representation. And this is going to be, I'm working on a book and I can maybe talk about it at the end of the show. Um, Cause it's been my muse. And for me to learn more about things, I have to write about them in some, like maybe that's my manifestation, my, my way of putting, my mind onto a sheet and then working with it and like all the the intuitive insights just it goes there it goes there it goes there uh, it's also a way in working with a lot of these different really just beautiful and amazing minds darian barr uh, chris corfus has been interested in the foot forever if i watching his old videos back in the day um he's always been into the foot the marinoviches and that training system gary ward uh david gray has been working with me a lot in that regards like there's all these the other people have had the podcast, Emily Splickle, Zig Ziglar, uh, Chong Ji, like the hyperarch and those tendons. Like there's all these, for one little thing that connects you to the ground, you have all these different um, ideas. It's insanely complex, but yet it can be really simple because the best athletes in the world have awesome feet and they didn't even pay a single thought to it. That's just the miracle of the body is just on auto, you know? Um, so where do I go from this? This is where I told you before. I sometimes I might get lost. Uh, so, anyways, here's here's uh, so principles though. Um, for me, as I'll start with performance, because that's I think that's at least for those of us who are in the athletic performance or early career athletes that we want to see the verticals go up. We want to see things get faster. Uh, the simplest thing to say is be four foot dominant. That's like if it's it's like I'm levels. I'm the young Padawan and I'm going through well. Easiest thing, the thing that's going to get the most likes on Instagram because it's the easiest to resonate with is just simply being four foot dominant. But what does that mean? Does it mean you walk on your toes? Does it mean, you know, because no, we need to use all of our foot, especially jumping um, or, or any athletic movement. Watch a good football player, a good basketball player doing cuts, especially change of direction, um, doing hesitation moves. Uh, in acceleration, you are using less because your heel's off the ground, but Watch a good team sport athlete. They use all their foot. They use the heel all the way to the front, and they can access it 
fully. So to say, we'll just be on your toes, like um, Mike Wadango, uh, one of the first conversations I had with him, he was talking about um, like football players and, and early on they're taught to be on their toes, be on the balls of your feet, be on your toes. And he's like, I've been around that so much that I, and, and that being a bad thing because these people aren't using their whole foot and everything upstream reacts to that. And he was like, look, I've almost gotten to the point where I can sense like if someone's going to have an ACL injury. And a lot of times it's these people who've been coached to be on the ball of their foot. So, so, but we know that being, to be a good jumper and sprinter, you have to have a lot of power off the forefoot. But what is that? Um, and that's where it can get a little complex. Uh, because I think that it's very easy for someone to proliferate foot training and just say, well, just go barefoot. Well, what does that mean? Because if there's no sensory load, that I'm not necessarily helping myself. You're barefoot in your sock. <laughs> You're barefoot in your shoe. You know, like there has to be a sensory load. It has to be intaking information. So to me, what forefoot dominant means ideally is I can use my whole foot, but when I need to, I can be on the ball of my foot, the transverse arch, if you will. The transverse arch is like, just think of a little dome that spreads between the ball of your pinky toe and the ball of your big toe. The foot works in domes. Uh, and if you want to see a really good illustration of this, go to the Instagram handle Adaptable Polarity. He is awesome. Like he's got really cool foot drawings that represent uh, and, and the foot also, I, again, I'm trying to keep myself in because I'll just go a bunch of directions. But if we talk about the body as a miracle, uh, which Jay Schrader actually said that being a big thing like of his is we treat the body as a miracle as it is. And the foot to me is one of the highlights of many of the miraculous nature of the body because the architecture that we've discovered over the years is all there in the foot. Domes, triangle, you know, the triangle, the tripod. These things are all there to, to give the stiffness. And a stiff foot, not that that is always a good thing, but when we need stiffness on demand, the domes forming up properly is more important than, oh, did you do enough short foots? Is the intrinsic muscle, is your intrinsic muscle game good? You know what I'm saying? Like forming domes on command and being able to transfer weight into the front of the foot with the domes active on command is being forefoot dominant in my opinion not just walking on your toes even all the floating heel stuff which i think is good it that's good, a good thing but you can do floating heel without having the domes active and i think that is the nuance that people can miss so you actually in my mind have to start at an even deeper level like the first level is not i mean even saying forefoot dominant are the arches active um and so a, a story that was going around about 15 years ago, I remember reading this thing. And it was a guy who had uh, heel spurs, bone spurs in his calcaneus. And he had to walk around like kind of on the balls of his feet, not like all the way up on you know, his toes, but his heel could barely touch the ground. And now this might be a guy that maybe would be an ACL risk if he was a football guy. He was a volleyball player. I don't know. Um, but his standing vertical, this guy apparently self-proclaimed, just average six-foot white guy uh, with no special genetics, had like, he could stand under a basketball hoop and touch his elbow on the rim. And his calves were like really well-defined and built up too. And so I think that it's not the weight or the force, but it's creating the dome and reinforcing that dome system over time with the fascial system. That's where that starts and that comes from. Not Again, floating heel is good. 
but that's it's a layer removed if that makes sense um and i think good athletes can form that arch in the floating heel context uh, like have a good athlete with good sensation yeah they're going to have that dome dome up so uh being four foot dominant is the first the first thing and so again a good athlete and you watch a good uh, illustration might be uh, watch someone dunk and do a two-leg dunk um aaron gordon is a good one to watch in the dunk contest watch him he will go set himself up he jumps off two legs his second to last step that comes down is full through the heel uses his whole foot gets and then the last step that comes in slips around and he's really only using choosing to use the forefoot of that foot for the most part that heel is not really touching the ground if it even does and that is like insane that's a well-timed uh, akin to a boxer throwing a really i'm like punching you in the video no won't show up even though akin to a boxer throwing that super well-timed strike that is the boxer of the foot and the transverse arch specifically. Cause if you're boxing, you also have to set your wrist or you're going to break your wrist. Um, you have to set that arch, let it come down at the exact right spot, at the exact right time. And the, that's like, that's the beauty of athleticism. And that's why, you know, Aaron Gordon, you know, maybe that guy can't, I, don't, I feel like someone told me this, like he's not a great front squatter, but he could hex bar a lot or something. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's not the squat that made, if you watch that jump and the nuances of it, the squat might synergistically help that jump, but it starts with domes, the fascial system, and a collision. And so we need to be able to create that, that dome, that system. Um, I'll stop there with, with that because I, um, I don't want to get lost. So no, <laughs> no, that, that's great. So four foot, being four foot dominance is, is sort of the first principle outlaid. Just for myself, not even for the listeners, when you say floating heel, what exactly do you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. So it's been real popular recently and for good reason. And it's fine because, like, the pendulum always swings, man. Like, all the, it's fun talking to some of these coaches who have seen it all for a while. Um, like, I remember it was Dan Path told me those, the wicket drills or the, the, the Japanese, he said, we're doing that like the turn of the century back in the early 1900s. Like, this is, if there was Instagram back then, it would have been super, you know, cool. Like back then, it'd be like mind blowing for everybody. Um, but so, I mean, the old school strongman, I mean, squatting with the heel on the ground wasn't even a thing to my knowledge in my readings, the foot didn't get flat on the ground and squatting until we started powerlifting because the objective was to lift maximal weight, but before the objective was to lift maximal weight in a competition format, it was the squat was more of a tool for other cool strongman shit that you would do. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so it's all purely functional. And the beautiful thing about these old school strongmen is I just think their intuition game was just like 10 out of 10. You know what I'm saying? Like there was no like internet and just always, and trying to search for ideas. It was just you and the weights and the implements and trying to be creative and knowing your body. And so the heels didn't even come down until powerlifting. So everything technically was kind of a floating heel squat. Uh, and then, and then recently we were starting to do, I think we're starting to see us Cal Dietz. Uh, I believe he's all his bilateral squats are like this. Uh, you start to see it in more Instagram or stuff like that, where people have the balls of their feet on like two weight plates or something like put two fives down on the floor and the balls of your feet are on those. And then the heels are kind of floating in space while you're squatting or whatever, like a strength shoe. Um, kind of like single leg, um, like single leg is a common variation too. a single leg floating heel. Like people have the ball of the foot on a single leg. And so inherently you're going to have uh, a lot more calf connections in there. And so you're going to be 
you're going to fall to the weakest link. Like for me doing a floating heel squat, I actually lift the same weight <laughs> because my weak link is not, that's my, my, where I make my money is my foot and my lower leg. So I, that doesn't hold, but for someone whose squat has far outrun their forefoot and everything that comes with that, they might really struggle. So that, that's like the floating heel and it's starting to get more in the industry. And I, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm excited for that. So continuing on with the foot now, when you do work with athletes, do you assess their feet? And if you do, what are you looking for? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I'll, I'll say too, I almost forgot the second part of, um, forefoot dominance and what I look for. Cause I, I have this in my assessment, like even my online fine assessments, like what do your toes look like? Yeah. Are they flat or curled or, you know, whatever. And so, uh, I look for that being, I'll just preface this. The second part of being forefoot dominant is, do you have, um, is your toes like kind of curled now there's good curled toes and bad curled toes. And again, the foot's complex and this is just the thing with it, but like, cause you can have a hammer toe, like that's not good. Um, but basically what, what curled up toes tell you a uh, good curled toes. And it's hard to explain on video, but basically toes that I'll explain it in a way that you uh, as a listener can play around with this and you'll feel it. Cause it's, you know, Tony Holler just wrote a good article on experiential learning. You know, if you just hear it, you might forget it, but if you do it, you'll won't forget it. Or, <laughs> okay. Anyways. So good toe curl happens when all the metatarsal heads. So all the balls of the feet are in good like contact or, or essentially I should say I have two really good points of contact between the ball of my um, big toe and the ball of my little toe. And so there's good contact of the metatarsal heads to the ground that creates the base of a dome, the dome being the toes. So when I, I cause I have to have the, the base of the bridge or I can't have a bridge. So that base is the metatarsal head. So if you put your foot on the ground right now, Take your sock, take your shoe off. If you're driving, that's probably going to be hard because I know a lot of people listen to podcasts while driving. So what you're going to do is basically without, um, now if you have a good toe curl and it's not, it's natural and automatic, you might not do it, but basically try gripping your toes into the ground. Uh, just, just without that metatarsal head pressure, it may help if you're standing. So if you're not standing, you don't have to stand, but but if you're standing and you don't have metatarsal head pressure and you try to grip your toes, you're going to get like toes that kink in the middle. Um, basically meaning the toes became the grip. They started to grip. That's a gripping toe. Um, and again, podcast, this is hard to do on an audio, but I will do the best I can. Cause I have had people talk about the foot on my podcast and I know how hard this can be. So you have to really go through it slowly. I, I got, I think I got that. So, my first is it my first is it all metatarsal heads are kind of floating while the toes grip yeah so that's the bad one let the like just intentionally let the met head pressure off and just let the toes grip that is not good that is not what you want what you want what you want is then put the met heads down the balls of the feet down solidly to do that you may have to even lift the heel up a little bit and that's fine because you want to really dig those metatarsal heads those balls of the feet into the ground solidly and then once you have that, then grip your toes a little bit, just mm. a little. Let the tips of the toes kind of touch the ground, but you're not trying to have a kink in the middle. Does that make sense? So your toes shouldn't kink in the middle? No. All my met heads are down, but they kink when I go to grab. So, so you would, yeah, so you would need some practice. So you're probably trying to grip. And this is what I find. People who have this issue, 
their that their base mode is just toe grip. Um, and those people tend to be have struggles with elastics, elastic reactivity, RSI. I definitely uh, do. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my elastic capabilities is like terrible. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was gonna say as soon as you said I, I, it's gripping, I'm like, you probably. I'm not trying to judge you, but I'm like, probably you probably don't have a great RSI. Like that is the key of RSI, as I have found it, is you must have um, tension running through the arch of the foot. And if you cannot get the heads down to the point where those toes can grip and wind up the fascia in the foot a little bit, mm. you're just not going to have a good RSI. And that's where it's like, that's the base. That's where this starts. Cause I find that I think when people are trying to improve RSI, it's like, okay, let's just do like, let's just stiffen up those tendons. You know, we talk about it's, I'm, I always call it like second order shit. Like let's stiffen up that tendon. Let's do some more like speed stuff. But Again, you're 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 gonna do that speed stuff on a, a you know a mushy ass foot and yeah. toes that are not forming domes. It's kind of like a like a dome is. A, I'm trying to think of this like if you built I don't know like not an erector set. I don't. My kids don't have erector sets yet, but like even just like think of a bridge that's a dome. Like if that dome, if it's not a dome, but all of a sudden it's just a flat bridge, like you know, like like a, those big concrete bridges that are nice like dome shapes. Mm. imagine that wasn't there when you drive over it and it's just a flat piece of concrete that's not going to hold anything <laughs> and yeah. I'll, I'll preface this too by saying toes and this is told to me by um adarian bar and david weck is toes are weak they're weak as shit um because here's another experiment find a stair or a, a block or a wedge and just try to stand only on your toes like literally only i don't care and I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how much you practice this. You can't put hardly any force in your toes. Your toes can't. All they can do is, is help wind up. They can be a little base of support when you need it, but you mm. shouldn't ideally really truly need it. Like Gary Ward calls it the last line of defense. That's the guardrail. Because like once you, your pressure goes off the, the arches of the foot, past the met heads, then the toes gripping is like that last line of defense because the arch couldn't do the job. The arch needs to do the job. The toes help the arch by creating tension, by winding it up. And then the tips of the toes might just kind of gently touch, you know, especially the big toe. It might, but that's not where all the pressure is going. If all the pressure is going there, you will not, you have no thing to stand on, literally. So the two things you can do at home or watching this is you can um, try the, the ball the foot toe gripping drill and so that's usually where I, i'll just usually just watch people we usually do our first session with the, the socks and shoes off and i just watch what people's tendencies are are you gripping your toes a lot are your toes flat or curled what happens and we do a lot of single leg stamp stuff to warm up too like uh jay schrader uh and evo evo um his evo I think his is Evo Sport. Yeah, yeah Evo Sport it is. Yeah. They do, uh, yeah, like single leg standing and like, you know, leg circles on a single leg, basically a single leg with perturbations, you know, and watch what the foot does. Is are the toes gripping all the time? Does it look like they have an arch? Um, is the force always going to the outside of the foot, the inside of the foot? So I like to do as much assessing as I can, just watching people do stuff and not trying to say, I, I try not to speak in terms of like, oh, God, your toes suck. Like, you, like if mm. I was coaching you, Robbie, I'm like, God, Robbie, like, man, your RSI must be, you know, but use your terms, bollocks. <laughs> your, your RSI is bollocks. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna say, hey, like, we have an opportunity to improve your base of support here. 
Also, if you want, if you wanted to see the world's ugliest feet, you'd uh, you'd definitely get your money's worth of mine. But, I but, I, speaking that you said that, well, I would say too. A lot of times we say ugly feet. Look at a picture of LeBron James's feet. One of the best that, longevity in the game, and yeah. a guy who's retained his athletic qualities incredibly well. I mean, he's still what is he thirty five now, and he's still highlight dunks and all that stuff. So j- just continue. I was actually going to bring up Le- LeBron because you know he gets a lot of flack for like not having great feet, and I've I seen this too in in some of the sprint athletes that I've had the you know the 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 look to to work with and be around you know my time at all it's not saying that like i i was their coach you know i was obviously intern and i was just supervising and helping but like i've been around other sprinters too and a lot of sprinters and even actually a lot of irish dancers who would be very explosive like a lot of irish dancing is just like you know it's like just hours of plyometrics and like you know these fucking dancers are very explosive and you know i suppose if you were to actually measure things like their vertical jump they, they could potentially have a very good vertical but a lot of them have terrible feet as in if you look like you know, they've bunions and they're flaff they, they flat feet but yet they can seem to produce or transfer a lot of power like so i'm not just talking about dancers here i'm talking about the sprinters i've worked with like a lot of them they'd have their shoes off and you'd see that they had no arch walking around now obviously not, not obviously, but maybe is it a case of just because someone's walking around with a flat arch, that doesn't mean that's how the, the, the foot operates when they're at like top end velocities or when they're accelerating. Because it's kind of like saying, oh, the way they walk day to day life is how they look when they run. And that's clearly not the case. Because like, even if you looked at Usain Bolt and he just walked, he's a terrible walking gait. But obviously then when he sprinted, he was a different animal altogether. And there is lots of research to show that those movements are, are completely different in how they're mapped in the nervous system, you know? So even just changing velocities changes how movements is controlled. But sorry, again, I'm rambling here when it comes to people like with, with what, what would be seen or classified as if you like almost pathologies of the feet, like overpronation bunions, like how are some people with those perceived poor foot structures still, you know, expressing a lot of force. And then, a second part of that, what do you do then from a training aspect to, to get the feet more sort of operational or t- towards a, a, the more sort of ideal model of this dome that you're talking about? So two-prong question there. People who don't have great feet still being able to express a lot of force. What, what would your rationale be for that? And then when you do see people who don't seem to have this great dome, like say they on my foot, for instance, wouldn't transfer a lot of elasticity or elastic power, what would you do from a training aspect? Yeah, dude, that's the question, man, because that highlights so many things. And I think a lot of it highlights what we, and this is like a lot of stuff. And I'll say this is stuff a Darian Barr has like really helped me out with because so many things that we say are wrong or bad or especially are actually weapons. Um, and so I'll start with the bunion. Uh, so the bunion, sorry, there's some sort of a alarm, noon alarm going off here. I hope it doesn't show up too much. Uh, so with the bunion, it depends. There's a couple, there's, to me, I'm not going to invent something. Just, I, I, sometimes I pull stuff out of my ass a little bit, but there's, there's a good toe in like, like for a sprinter and then there's a full on bunion. And so to me, the difference is a lot of good sprinters have the big toe a little bit in because they, when they accelerate acceleration, your width is a little bit more like you're, Upright running, your feet are kind of near each other. But in, in acceleration, you might be, you know, you're over a foot apart of those first few steps. 
and that then it slowly comes in as you get faster. And so, or ask or look at any the big toes of any like real good uh, change of direction guy in like basketball or football, someone who's always crossing people over. They're always operating, they're getting to the inside edge of their foot, they're getting to that big toe, and they're swiveling off the inside edge of it. Like they're rotating constantly off the inside edge of it. And so it's just that's just function, really. As long as now, if if that the ball of the big toe, like if the head of it, the base of it is really sticking out away from the foot, like you'll see that, especially like a lot of like older women, stuff like that, that would be a problem. <laughs> and that comes from a lack of mobility elsewhere in the foot, like perhaps like the central joints of the foot and inability to pronate properly. So you kind of do have to distinguish, like you look at LeBron James's foot, like is that can you say that that guy's got a like a performance detracting bunion? No, I th- I think his he's his foot is just like elastically loaded. Uh, that's what I see cuz I see a pinky toe on his foot. I see a big toe that's kind of pointed in and down. This is when he's taking a step. So his big toe is kind of like pointed in and down a little bit and his pinky toe is is the other way. It's pointing up. And so it's forming this spiral in his foot. So he's like, he almost has like this explosive permanent, like explosive arch that's spiraling towards the inside edge in his foot, if that makes sense. And so we look, it's like, oh, it's so ugly. Well, that ugly foot helps this guy to be fascially locked and loaded till his mid thirties. And we all know LeBron isn't like a big, like he's not a heavy squatter and he failed the FMS if you could, whatever that means to you, you know, like, uh, and that again, elasticity. And I'm not saying that we should ignore weights and strength and just focus on fascia. I do think as we learn more about fascia and the fascial system, I do think we can start reducing weightlifting load in particular areas for sure. So that would be the big toe thing. And like and pinky toe up is an Adarian bar thing that if you and this might be in the more applied section, but like those pinky toes are oftentimes kind of up a little bit and, and low and because that will activate the three arches or the three domes of the foot when that pinky toe is a little bit up. So here's a guy whose domes or arches are so locked and loaded that he is always just going to have that pop, that elasticity, that reactivity. And it's like, it's these little droplets of nature that are given to us. And I guarantee, and this is why I said at the beginning, we don't have to teach good athletes this stuff. It just, they just do it. And that's where the, to me, the beauty of watching people is, is watching these elite athletes and just noticing the stuff they do and trying to make sense of, well, why, why is your foot like that? Why do you, you know, move like this and, and trying to extrapolate from that. Um, the flat foot one is the second, cause this is the, probably the bigger one is it's like, oh, flat feet. Flat feet are not bad. In fact, flat feet are probably as good as it gets, as long as you're not over pronated or over pronating. So you're seeing that person whose heel is always like stuck in aversion, kind of like if, if that's, um, if that's, if you can pronate and supinate effectively, then a flat foot is about the most athletic thing that you're going to get because it is the most like preloaded thing you're going to get. Because when that thing hits the ground, it's closer to the bottom. Like if you think of our foot as a 10 story elevator, uh, some with a high arch, their foot starts on floor 10. Someone with a flat foot, their arch might start on floor two. So, and then they are going to get to the bottom real fast and they have a lot of stiffness right out of the gate. Um, the best way I can explain how and why this happens, you can see it 
I just posted on my own Instagram um, a dunker. It's five nine guy Dexton Crutchfield. Uh, this guy is like five nine. Get his head up to the rim, and he's jumping and and he's absolutely destroying his shoes. And what I mean by that is he's he's planting a takeoff, and his shoe, his foot is putting so much pressure into the shoe in a lateral vector that the shoe is actually sliding. So the sole of the shoe is completely off the ground. And you don't see that happen that oftentimes with people with high arches, because I think that they just can't put the pressure in the shoe that fast, if that makes sense. And again, this, this can get really complex, but just think of a, a flat foot as one that's, that's more responsive faster. As long as it's loaded, it's got to be loaded. And then as long as it can pronate and supinate properly. So flat foot, close to the ground, close to that point where you can reach maximum elastic you know, potential and pressure. And what you'll notice in sprinting then is a lot of people with flat feet. Um, and I will say it like more African Americans have flatter feet than, you know, me and you whose ancestry is closer to the Arctic circle, right? Like I, I, I have medium arches, um, but watch sprinters with flatter feet and they will tend to hit and their foot will spin more on contact. Cause it's kind of like, foot hits, pressure's taken out, all the, all the tension, all the room I had is taken out of the flat foot. Now it's going to spin. And so anyways, just think of it that way. I will say that people with flatter feet tend to have more issues with uh, what I call vibrational injuries or, or shin, shin splint injuries. Mm. And I think that, that um, people with flat feet who don't have the toes, the loaded toes are going to be at the greatest risk of those vibrational injuries. Um, so that's for what that's worth. But anyways, a flat foot is a good foot as long as you have, you know, the, the loaded toes, hyperarches, Chongzi would say, and you can pronate and supinate and get out of it. I hope so, that'll not too much. No, it's really, really good. I'm, I'm actually, this is excellent. It's, this actually has been more interesting than I anticipated. Not that I think this would be very interesting. I, I guess I, you, I'm, I'm actually, I'm understanding and following what you're saying better than I thought I would initially. Cause again, I'm completely ignorant when it comes to foot mechanics. Um, just before I move on, before we just wrap up with maybe some of your latest thoughts on power and speed methods as well. And I know transfer training has been a big thing that both me and you have spoke about in previous discussions. Um, what does training the foot then look like with you? So with your athletes, so like, is it, just again to give someone maybe a little more context to wrap up our conversation here on the feet, like you know, so what does foot train look like in the weight room versus warming up versus maybe out on a track versus maybe in a sports setting? Like how are you, how are you sort of incorporating this understanding into like the day to day training process? Yeah, that's that's where it all comes down to. Because I mean, we gotta we gotta take things that are in the air, we gotta bring them down to earth. We gotta make it, you know, we gotta so the main things that I want to do in training. So like I said, single legs. So I'll just speak generally first before just, yeah, I'll just sure. make this general. So general, it can be track, this could be football, figure skating, whatever is I just like spending a lot of time on one leg. Um, it, and so that could be, and I like uh, Max Shank. I had Max Shank on uh, my podcast a little while ago and he had mentioned something about, and I just like this is warm up five minutes for very get the feet awaken the feet for five minutes is like the first thing you do and i that's really stuck with me um and so i will always start with something that's foot related be it 
there's a lot of methods to do this. Um, the easiest, I'll just say two of my go-tos are spending time in single leg stance. So that could be the three-way hip circles that uh, Jay Schrader uses. And that also coaching, uh, this, coaching the foot to say, hey, don't grip your toes, focus on your arches. Um, we try to do that barefoot. You know, maybe we introduce a little bit of a sensory load to it, like Gary Ward's wedges or something. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a big one that I like. And you're going to start feeling that one wherever you're the weakest. But for some people, it might be the arch of your foot. For some people, it might be the hip. Um, just kind of depends. So that I just I just want to get three points of contact, and I want the toes to not grip the ground for that. So just let's call it arch sensitivity training. <laughs> uh, or I will do uh, up to five minutes of uh, Chong Ji's uh, hyper arch hop, or just something related. It doesn't have to be that movement. But basically, you're getting yourself in a little bit of like think get into a quarter squat, an athletic position. And you're just hopping in different vectors. So diagonally is Chong's mode. So just diagonally forward to back. Uh, with a contact point, uh, for him, I believe it's about right under the second toe, so ball of the second met head. Because uh, in his studying or looking, around, or, you know, looking at good athletes, he noticed that that's where they tended to have a callus, which I find interesting because the callus dictates where your tripod is. But I won't get into that too much. I, um, get my book if you want to know that. <laughs> I, uh, so, but that one, so for that one though, you kind of want to focus around ball, the second, um, toe contact points and pink. I, and I throw in a Darian bars pinky toe up. So just five minutes of some sort of two leg hopping in different vectors with pinky toe up, feeling contact points on the met heads, and you're going to get a pretty serious calf burn. And I find that people who aren't elastic can't do that for very long. I can do it for five minutes because that's my engine. But uh, inelastic people that I work with, man, they're dying after a minute because they're not using the fascial system after a, a little while because they just aren't used to it. They're, they're, maybe their arches dropped out and now they're running on muscle and now they're spending a lot of energy. Elasticity is free energy. So single leg stance stuff, um, hops in place for five minutes, really good. Uh, those are two really good general things that I like to utilize. Uh, and then in my lifting, float, going to the floating heel. Uh, and I think it's more powerful, the floating heel stuff, when you know the domes of the foot. And you're like, hey, you remember that? Um, oh, teaching people how to form the transverse arch is important. Basically, just pinky toe up, seeing the space under this, the third toe rise a little bit, because that's the dome in the front of the foot rising, teaching people that, saying, hey, let's do this when we do your floating heel squats and all that. Uh, so just getting people in that mode constantly. Um, so that would be my base mode. And then uh, how I coach different movements, lifts, plyometrics is also very foot centric, meaning, well, one, we want to have uh, a feeling of your arches. Uh, but I, I also want to make sure that I'm not prescribing plyometrics that outrun the person's arch. Uh, what I mean by that is if I, if me and you, or let's say me and LeBron James, well, LeBron's kind of heavy. I don't know. Like, let's just say, an Olympic high jumper did we both jumped off a 48 inch box and hit the ground. Um, there's a good chance that that Olympic high jumper or just say me when I was 21 would hit the ground, collide with the ground and all the arches and domes would be fully active. Whereas if it's me now or it's someone who's a little less elastic, they're going to hit and those arches are gone and now they're running on muscle. And so Fundamentally speaking, plyometrics at the core of it is what is the arches of your foot doing? Are the domes active in this movement? 
If they're not, let's regress. Let's do a lower box. Let's just do smaller hops. Let's wait till you have this mode and then we can build out. Um, but until you have that mode, I'm very hesitant to escalate uh, that type of thing. And even you look at Dr. Yesis's stuff, it all just starts with one by 20 and a lot of ankle stuff, a lot of like quick, quick ankle hops. And in some ways, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a lot of complex stuff and, but I think for a lot of people, it doesn't have to be a whole lot more complicated than that. In fact, Yesis's stuff, um, who is it? Uh, Matt Tomey, who was at Michigan Tech. I think he works with Altus now. He was saying his athletes had a lot of shin issues because uh, they had a really hard basketball court. And Yesis told him, hey, just have them basically walk, do, walk a, like a length of the court or two or something like that before you practice on the balls of the foot. I think it could be in their basketball shoes but just have the heel like a half inch off the ground as you're doing that. And what I, and what I've come to realize that I think that can do is that is another thing to get pressure on the Met heads and to help help the transverse arch form automatically. So people might not even know what's happening, but if just by, and that's the beauty, that's the ultimate goal of training is not to say, well, look how smart I am. Cause I can tell you about this and the arches and pronation too. And like three quarters of the athletes are checked out. They're gone. You know, if, if you could just reduce it to, hey, just walk on the, with the balls of your feet, on the balls of your feet with your heels a half inch off the ground, and maybe like 80% of the athletes' arches formed pretty well automatically, well, that's, that's winning, right? Like, and, and then you can build on that and the ankle stuff. So, so anyways, to recap, single leg stance, um, lots of hopping, five minutes of hopping stuff. You could do uh, like feeding that into stuff you're doing in the weights and in the gym session and, and, and plyometrics, being aware of it. and then. Also, just looking for other things you can do. I do a lot of other stuff too, PVC pipe stuff and whatnot, but I'll just leave it at that for, for this uh, practical. No, that's great. That's great. Um, what do you like time-wise? I know you have to hop off soon. Uh, 20 more minutes is fine. Cool, yeah. All right, so speed and power methods and then just overall human performance. Since we last spoken, you know, what are your current top processes? What are you playing around with? Um, you know, transfer of training, you know, taking stuff from general training practices and trying to carry them over to more specific sports performance. So just, I suppose, to summarize that whole question, where has your sort of mind been in terms of your study, your thinking processes, your meditation on optimizing performance? And I know that a big part of your realm is speed power methods. Um, you know, obviously, you, you know, you've had some <clears throat> great discussions with the likes of Christian Thibodeau and, you know, Tibbs is obviously known for his speed and power methods as well as his, as neurotypes. And um, just interested to hear your thoughts. Like what, where, since we've last spoken, where has your sort of mindset been in terms of trying to optimize performance, get transfer training, speed power methods? Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much my whole life, I've been working on optimal training splits. <laughs> I think that, that and, and for me, I've always been somewhere in the world. I'm, I'm not a person who can do anyone's program as is it's just i have to tinker i can't just do it i have to mess with it the only program i've actually been able to do is easy strength and i think that's because it's so such a short session and then you get to go pretty creative with all your speed and plyo stuff and so my natural gravitation has been more to train people especially in-person sessions um maybe as opposed to online a little bit because i get i'm there i have the pulse of what we're doing we're going to get a lot of good quality work in what, if you will, an extended warm up. It's not really a warm up. We're just doing tons of qualities for 40 minutes. Then we might do easy strength for 20. 
or like with my, my, where my program evolved, maybe I'll speak with my men's tennis team at Cal as the evolution of my time as a strength coach. Um, cause I was a, I was a track coach for six years with the, that the track hat being number one and the strength coach hat being second. And to be completely honest, doing strength and conditioning to me at that time was not, it was honest, to be honest, it was boring compared to coaching someone in track. Cause it's like, okay, let's get some exercises. Here's a few pointers in your squat, your bench, you know, all right, good, you know, good job. Try to be energetic. And, but there's just compared to, you know, approach angles and vectors and periodization plans of elastic and, you know, you know, weight room elements in track. There's so much more going on puzzle wise in track. As far as my mind was concerned, I believe that it was no mistake that I spent eight years of my life as a full-time strength coach, because that I basically, not to be completely honest, I remember when I started as a full-time strength coach for track, I was just thinking, oh, you know, hopefully in a couple of years I can go back to track. And because, you know, this is put in the door of division one and now I'll go back to coaching track and field. And cause that puzzle I liked, but that, that was not my life path. Um, because I don't know what's at the end of the day, if I say, well, I was the best like sprinter coach or jumper coach or some combination in the world. I don't know. I, I don't really think that that's the biggest gift that you can give the world. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think it is, but I don't, I don't know. I think that there was some other things that I was meant to learn. And to be honest, I had very serious issues from a personal side as a coach in terms of just being a good coach and just caring about people. <laughs> I needed to go into strength and conditioning to learn that and a lot of other things. Um, and I think I, that strength and conditioning did teach me very well. I, I'm so much better of a coach now, just being a coach, just being a good person and being someone who an athlete will remember, regardless of whether you were good or bad in your sport, whether you were the top of the team or the bottom. Um, but men's tennis was a good transformer for me. And, and this is a, a seven, eight year journey. And maybe I talked with you last, really talked with you about halfway through that journey. And so I started that journey as a strength coach. And I know we're talking speed power a little bit, but I, I think this is, I, I don't know. Cause if I were talking about training cycles and easy strength and triphasic and undulations and 14 day cycles, I, I we won't have enough time for that in 20 minutes. Um, yeah, you, go. You, you know, and, and just to summarize that you go wherever you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. To summarize that portion of it. I just, I don't know. I like 14 day cycles with a modified triphasic and I like, you know, I think alternating deep squats with two thirds of the way down squats works well and learn neurotyping and elastic and concentric and metabolic athletes learn what makes athletes tick individually. I mean, I got an athlete, an athlete got up to a, I had a swimmer vertical jump 41, two for me. I shouldn't say for me, that's stupid for he, he jumped 41, two. And I was able to facilitate, have a role in facilitating that. That's a better term. Um, and one of the key things we did was just, he didn't tolerate heavy squat loads. He had to be more elastic in the weight room, whereas other athletes wouldn't do well with that. And so anyways, that's that. Um, but so for, uh, yeah, for tennis though, it started with like this very prescribed, let's do movement prep. We're going to come and do movement prep and this is going to activate all these muscles, whatever that means. <laughs> and then we're going to do lifting for 40 minutes or 45 minutes. And it's, you know, here's triset one. We're going to do this to a tempo, like triset two, do this to a tempo. And the looks on those guys' faces, I know it's tennis. They're not the biggest weight room dudes. Like they don't really, they're not excited about it, but that's not the point. Um, like Corey Schlesinger said, unless the athletes 
unless the best people in your team are the best at the lifts in the weight room, there's probably some serious hangups in your program. You know, like if the worst guys on the team are the best at some of the lifts, then what are you, you know, like that was it with tennis. We had a group called the Swoles crew. And these are the guys who didn't barely ever get to play or didn't get to play, or they had been like kind of injured for the season, didn't care. And those were the guys who loved lifting the heavyweights. I'm not saying heavyweights are bad. I'm just saying like from a tennis perspective, and then you get a lot of, I think, strength coaches complain. They're training some team. Oh, these guys don't like to lift. They don't like to work hard. Well, go watch them play and then tell me that. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you're going to see a different animal out there. And so what transformed for me over time was um, there's some big shifts. Like, I think the first big one was spending time with Paul Cater, Monterey, uh, California Alpha Project. And th- he does a warm-up that's just totally off the cuff. Just come in. Let's see what the vibe is. Put some music on. Let's start with this and let's just take it from there. And so improv, improv acting applied to the warm-up. So all the human movement. And that was a big one because now all of a sudden I'm more connected with them. Like it's not just me, it's them in the workout card and me maybe saying a few things about an exercise. It's, it's, like a, it's like a dance. You are all of a sudden in an improv session. And that is a skill in and of itself that I'm always thinking as a strength coach, what's skills am I building? Like what real honest skills, art forms am I building that I, I can say I'm honestly, I'm much better at. And I could honestly say just improving a workout, just you could call it pulling a workout out of your ass and then make and people say that's like, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing if you're bad at it. Pull a workout out of your ass if you're good at it. Because I've had experiences with Paul Cater where he just improvised the whole thing that were amazing. Like literally I'm jumping four is higher. I feel lit up on all cylinders. And then once you reach that crescendo, now let's hit the weights versus like, okay, let's just prep you for a long robotic traditionally coached weight session. And you ask yourself, which of those is more like sport? <laughs> like something that's improvised and maybe a little chaotic and, and facilitates exploration and, and rhythm and all these things or something that's like, hey, here's you know, XYZ, activate some muscles. Because I guarantee no one in sport is like, oh man, I really got to activate my rotator cuff before this next serve real quick, you know, or I got to activate my, my adductors before I play defense on this. No, like, and I'm not criticizing the need to organize the body and the joints of the body in a manner that, you know, especially in rehab settings and where stuff's gone wrong. I get it. Um, so changing that. And so, and eventually it got to a point where the, the full shift was then Rafe Kelly, uh, um, evolve move play. Like now we're starting to do more like, active games, rough housing games, uh, to the level that the team was comfortable with, like, like racing games, chasing games, being like a kid again. I mean, I'll tell you, athletes are so much more ready to go and excited. If you just even get to play keep away or tag of some sort for five minutes versus here, let's get on the line and run some tens. Okay. Well, who cares? <laughs> like your tennis, who even cares? It's, I mean, at the end of the day, I want your KPIs to go up, I guess, but I feel like if I can get you like lit up and excited and to move in some different ways and fast, like, cause the intention of what you're doing is the number one thing. Cause sprinting with just uh, I'm going to do this to make the coach happy. Hopefully I set a better time. Intention is good, but a better one is I'm having fun and I'm trying to do something natural. I'm getting away from someone. I'm chasing someone. I'm racing someone. Um, and a thing, I guess I thought about it as like vertical integration of, you know, Charlie Francis, vertical integration, you know, strength, pile, speed, it's always there, just whatever form. We, that's the same thing for life. Like when you're, it's vertical integration, but if you're a kid, like I'm six, like 
well, actually, it's a, it's a, well, that's not even vertical integration. Just it's all play and movement and exploration. But that, but then as I go into formal training, I'm 11, 12, 13, I can start to do some more, you know, traditional training. That play is always has to still be there. It makes you human. So we got to a point where my integration was, uh, we come in, we play, we'd put some music, eventually we'd put some music on, something with a rhythm and a beat and something the guys could get into. And we would just seek a flow state, an intuition driven flow state for 20 minutes plus. And I'm getting, you know, we're doing, we're doing monkey bars, we're doing cartwheels, we're doing chase games, we're doing race games, keep away. We might do a rough housing games. And then we get into, sometimes just play basketball. And then we do uh, like one by 20 stuff for the most part, because it's tennis and who cares about anything else than just basic, you know, high, they don't need to be doing anything that's high, low rep, unless it's for the coach's ego. And then we do extreme isos to finish. And sometimes if they were being a certain, like sometimes we put on like a motivational track on the speakers, like Eric Thomas or like, you know, like just to get people fired up. But I, so it, it became that to me was the goal because I, I went from this like super robot, you know, da, 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 and people with sour faces kind of, and not motivated to a training session that on the outside would look like, man, you guys are just playing around. But those guys were just lit up and excited. And when they did get to the lifting, it was on point and it was tons of energy and they were really excited for it. Extreme ISOs at the end. And I'll tell you what, once we made that crossover, especially to replacing a lot of lifting with the extreme ISOs, injury rates just went through the floor. I mean, real, like it was very tangible. Um, and so for that team, and honestly, even like basketball or a, a non-collision sport, like football is an armor sport, I get it. But like non-collision sports, I don't see that being that far off of that model, if that makes sense. Like I don't, I don't think soccer, I mean, yeah, you're going to, it is colliding with people, but not, it's not based on that. But I don't know that I just finding that model was like the gold for me. It really was. And I did a presentation. Um, it was a, uh, the last presentation I did as a Cal I guess employee was with the CSCCA and it was virtual, but it was um, basically on a lot of that human movement and the improvised warm. But I didn't really talk about the improv. I just talked about all the movement things I did. And that's like, this is my evolution. This is my evolution. And I mean, you can still get a killer warm up or workout from those warm up exercises. Like, okay, you're going to crawl uh, and every, you know, five meters do three push ups. Okay. I mean, do that a bunch of times and you're going to get just like you get shredded man like or do you're going to do crab walks and every five meters you have to kick your legs off the floor or something you know or do monkey bars and every four monkey bars do two pull-ups you're you're just you're synchronizing human movement with pump bodybuilding if you will and you the result is this i think it's greater than the sum of the parts it's like we can, we're trying to blend in these strength if you will movements with what it means to be human and I think the athlete gets a better experience and they also are more robust. And it's not to me, I didn't, I didn't stop measuring vertical. Cause like, that's my ego. It's, it's, I'm sure their verticals got better. I mean, and when we did test it, I will say when I started doing some of the foot stuff, I didn't test as much my last couple of years, but once I started doing the foot stuff, I was still testing it and guys were jumping three inches higher who had stalled, you know, from just squatting. Cause all of a sudden we get their foot going now you're jumping. So if that's going to make you better at tennis, hopefully, but or whatever your goal is, you know? Um, so that has been the big, that's where I'm at. Um, and that's been fun because it spills over into just training gen pop. Like I'm going to be doing adult classes and it's awesome because it's not just, how can I make you tired? It's how can we take, how can we celebrate what it means to be a human being in the form of physical movement? And unless you're like, I want to see a smile on your face. Like, and, and, and it's so, yeah, that's where I've been with that. I, uh, 
that's the thing that makes me excited actually now i, I like to talk to training periodization too i'm happy to do that but that's what's fun for, fun for me to be honest, I think that's the quote of the day there, celebrating what it means to be human. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, definitely on your own podcast, I think, and I'm sure you're aware of who James Fitzgerald is from OPEX, but just kind of where you currently at with your mindset there around training, I think he'd be a great guest to have on just in terms yeah. of his sort of philosophy and where sort of fitness fits into the whole sort of journey of life. Just wrapping up, Joel, um, tell us more about uh, Just Fly Sports. Tell us more about, you know, some of the products you already have out there. I know you have a couple of books. Um, you said you're working on another one. And um, what else have you got going on over there? Any future projects? And if people wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way to contact you? Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, the, the big one that's been on the market, you know, I know we didn't get into speed training a lot, but Speed Strength uh, is the book I put out about almost two years ago now. Uh, and that book was basically a three-year journey trying to decode everything I learned from a Darien bar, which was a lot of like, I'm, I'm in the shower and it just comes to me eureka moments based off something he said. And so that, that book was basically speed train kind of flipped on its head and I'm still learning. Like I'm still, there's just still so much out there, but that book was my first humble attempt to try to capture um, a lot of those elements because it runs in kind of counter to a lot of speed stuff that I think we've been um, um, accustomed to. And so that was a fun project. Um, and then uh, I'll probably have to have a second edition in a few years. The projects I'm working on now, uh, one is called Best Foot Forward. That is my foot book. And I've been working on that for a year and a half. And it's just something I can't, I can never rush stuff out the door. I've been meaning to have it out this whole year, but it's like, I'll, I'll just be coming along and there's always something new I'm trying to think about or I have to ask a Darian about <laughs> And just like, cause I just, I have a thing where I can't put out a book unless every chapter is like something that's really this, that's like really new and is meaningful. And I try to dump that. Like I've heard that about speed strength. Like every chapter is some is really meaningful material. That's not just trying to rehash and to be a collective of things. It's trying to really intuit something that is new and useful. And so that's the foot book, best foot forward. It goes into a lot of what we talked about today. It's got applied concepts to athletics. It's basically pronation and supination and motion concepts. Um, what's the action of the foot and sprinting and jumping? How does this apply to the gym, the weight room, plyometrics? Um, a lot more like PVC pipe stuff. Like I was, I hadn't really gotten to. So that book, let's just say coming soon. I, I hope I would hope that by the new year. On um, the project I'm working on, the interim because I just this just hit me and it's just going to be a really quick product, like a mini course. It's called Elastic Essentials. This will be the first podcast I've talked about this on, and this just came in a moment of just inspiration a week ago. Um, and and just it's basically how does the weight room, how can the weight room potentially, and by weight room, I'm honestly just mean a squat for the most part, <laughs> a deep squat as coached. What are some hangups between that and how the human body moves in sprinting, jumping, athletic performance? And how can I engineer movement in the weight room to reflect a little bit more of what happens in human movement? And so, yes, let's still get strong, but let's do it elastically. Uh, and so that's going to be called Elastic Essentials. Again, a lot of foot stuff in there too, foot vid videos on the foot, uh, pronation, supination, uh, polarities of movement. I had an Instagram post recently about like elastic and, and force and pronation, supination, and, and really just getting an overview of how I see training the athlete in light of those potentials and not just necessarily squat, hinge, da -da -da, sagittal plane. So just, uh, just starting to get outside the box there. Um, so those are two projects I'm mega excited about working hard to get those done and yeah uh, and then you can find me on 
you know, website, justflysports.com, Instagram, justflysports, podcast, those things. So. Sweet. Well, Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure. And last selfish question for myself, and obviously the listeners will gain from this, but what are you currently reading, if you are reading anything right now? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, I'll tell you, what, I haven't been reading. But before I moved, I was trying to read uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Joseph, Joseph Campbell, Campbell and then uh, The Unconscious Collected by Carl Jung. Great. Those are a little heavier. I, I, when I get to my new place here, get some bookshelves set up, I hope to get back to that. But just recently, I've actually, it sounds kind of hokey, but I've been working my way every morning. I've been reading through um, like a law of attraction, but I get it, like new age, whatever. You can be super new agey with that. I'm just going to close my eyes and wish for a new car. So, but more, I've been reading it in more just in terms of uh, context of athletic goal setting. Mm. And, and we hear like, why does goal setting work? Why doesn't goal setting work? And so for me, it's just, I do think the one, the thing that a lot of these law of attraction people have that I really like is just the way that we can set, and, you know, with like Dr. Joe Dispenza stuff, you look at how all that fits in. So I'm just trying to think about the context of that type of model with athletic goal setting. And then I'm just doing the exercises in a notebook every morning, just Great like like I have to do this and I have to and, and I want to start transferring that and hey you know athlete comes in hey what are your goals what are you why are you doing this what do you want to get out of this and then using those models and maybe a more not approaching it like new agey like but you know like I'm not we're not going to talk about the field or anything like that but just just like concrete how do I learn goal setting more and how do I approach it better um, and so the what's the book I'm, it's called the last law of attraction book you'll ever need okay it's just it's one of those I mean I don't even think Oprah would recommend it. Like it's not very, it's, it's, it's definitely one of more, it's probably more out there. Like, and I, and I like, I like coming back to earth a lot of stuff too. Like I like Mark Manson and the, and the little bit of the Buddhism and stoicism and that under the polarity. I'm not, I'm, I'm in the middle, but I'm reading that right now and kind of going through it in context of goal setting. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's one right now. Listen, man, that's great. And as I said earlier on the podcast, you don't have to explain yourself to anyone. There is no right or wrong in this journey. It's just all part of life. Um, that's great stuff Joel I, I really really do appreciate you making time for me today because I know you're hopping on our podcast in 20 minutes so I know what it's like to kind of be on the, the laptop and staring at screen for a number of hours but I, I do appreciate you you know and you, you, we set this up pretty quick too you got back to me very quick and again I appreciate your time I mean you're a, a partner and, and a father to two kids so your time demands are quite high already with a you know with a business to run so I truly do appreciate it I'll have everything in the show notes and if you need me to add anything in I'll definitely do that. I'll just wrap up now and I'll say goodbye to you offline. So guys, I mean, if you don't really know who Joel is from his own podcast, you're missing out. So make sure you check out Just Fly Sports and all the links I'll have in the show notes and any products Joel puts out. He's an absolute gent. He's a beautiful human being. And even though I've never met him in person, I'm delighted that I can call him a friend. So Joel, thanks a million. Thank you so much, Robbie. Really appreciate it, man. All right. And for everyone listening, until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. (laughs) 